Good morning to everyone. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of worship this morning, especially those of you, Perry, Oklahoma friends, uh, Mary in Germany, friends in Texas. Uh, God bless you, all of you who join us by podcast, by video. Uh, we are honored to welcome you to worship this morning. Open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In the middle of a message series entitled, All You Need Is Love. All You Need Is Love. Uh, we're reading this chapter. I'm going to read it again. We're reading it over and over and over. I'm hoping that the word of God will come down deep into your heart. You'll notice when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and when you're thinking about love, uh, this chapter has absolutely no feeling words. Uh, it's not talking all about how you feel about people. And, and that's really not what I'm preaching about either. We're not talking about how you feel about people. We're talking about how you treat people, how you behave, how you respond, how you act in relationships with people. We define love as power, not as feeling, and not only as obligation. We know that in Scripture and in this chapter, we're commanded to to do a lot of things, but that's the beauty and the joy of it. Scripture never commands us to do what it doesn't at the same time empower us to do. So love is not just a command. It's not just duty. it, It is power. Love is the power that moves us in everyday relationships, and that's important. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're not just talking about abstract things. We're not just talking about other people, not just especially religious people. We're talking about everyday people. And every quality mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 should be a part of your life and your relationships. It's the power that moves us in everyday relationships to give without expecting anything back. Love is the power that moves us in everyday relationships to give without expecting anything back. Now, we're down to verse 5 today, and this is where it really sort of is going to become difficult for some of us. Because lots of times in a relationship we do give, and and we may not necessarily expect anything back, but, but what comes back to us is pain. What comes back sometimes is rejection. What comes back sometimes is, is horribly abuse. So what does love do? We, we said last week that love can suffer long, and truly love suffers long. But, but after abuse, after hurt, after pain, how does love go on? How does it move on? Well, in those moments, in those instances of pain and abuse and hurt, love does a miraculous thing. It forgives. I want us to read together 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When you go to the doctor, you ever had a physical? Anybody ever had a physical? If your hand's not up, you need one. You, you, you need a physical. Dr. Jarvis will give you a physical. They lay you on the table in a paper gown. It's such a pleasure. In a paper gown. And then they may rip the gown off. That's just, that's just the fun part, I guess. Uh, and then the doctor will start to poke you. Why do they do that? They poke you in places you haven't been poked in a long time. Why do they poke? What are they waiting for? They're waiting for you to go, ah! Yeah, they want to see what hurts because if they poke somewhere and all of a sudden it hurts, what's that tell the doctor? This is where healing begins. The place where the pain is, that's where the healing is necessary. And so understand this morning as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and as we dig into especially the last part of verse 5, as we talk about forgiveness 
we're going to start poking you exactly where your pain is. And I understand, and I promise you, I I understand how difficult this sermon is going to be for some of you. I am about to drive God's word in exactly the place where your pain is. And I'm telling you, there's a reason for that. Because the place where your pain is, that's where healing begins. You ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, whole chapter. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I'd have gained nothing. Love is patient and and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. And it, it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when full understanding comes, these partial things become Useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But, but, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror. But, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Yeah, take your seats. Chapter 5, last part of the verse. Keep your Bibles open. Chapter 13, verse 5, last part of the verse. Uh, Scripture says it does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. And here's the phrase for this morning. Love keeps no record of being wronged. Love keeps no record of, of being wronged. And this is one place where the New Living Translation is actually a very, very good translation of that phrase. The old King James, which I love, says there, love thinketh no evil. Love thinks no evil. That's a pretty good translation, but again, remember, Paul spoke Greek, and he wrote in Greek, and so in this chapter, in many, many ways, a lot of the words he uses don't translate well into English, and this is one of those phrases where if you translate just thinks no evil, you're really missing the point of what the Scripture is saying, what Paul is saying in in his native tongue in the Greek. That word think, it means more than think. When we talk about love thinks no evil, uh, it's more than just to think. If, if, if you think we're talking about evil thoughts here, it, it's not the same as having dirty thoughts or, or evil thoughts. The word think there really means more to dwell upon. 
So we're not just talking about thinking. We're talking about a habit of mind where love doesn't dwell upon certain kinds of things. And the word used there is evil. Uh, love doesn't dwell upon evil. But, but again, even the word evil there, it, it's, it's a little more than what you think. The real gist of what Paul is saying here is closer to what the, the New Living Translation says. Love keeps no record of, of being wronged. The word think there is actually the word Paul uses It's an accounting word. It's a word that would have to do with keeping books. And so this translation, love keeps no record, that's a very, very good way of saying what Paul is trying to say. Love doesn't keep books on people. Do you understand? Love doesn't keep records. It keeps no record of being wronged. It's a wonderful way to say what love does. It doesn't keep permanent records. In school, if you ever got in trouble, the worst thing that your principal would say is, this is going to go on your permanent record. They said that once to me in sixth grade, and sometimes I still wonder, is there a permanent record on me? I mean, how permanent is it at Rich Pond School? If you pull up the file, do you still read about the day when Tim Harris was spitting water in the hall? I mean, is that really still on my permanent record? Because here's the thing, love doesn't keep permanent records. Please tell Ms. Bull from sixth grade, love doesn't keep permanent records. It it doesn't do that. Love doesn't keep books on people. In every house I've ever lived in, we've had a Yahtzee game. How many of you have Yahtzee? You ever played Yahtzee? Yeah, in my parents' house, the Yahtzee game is probably 60 years old. I mean, it's like the oldest Yahtzee game ever. But all Yahtzee games are the same. And I would say it's your house. It's probably like mine. You open the Yahtzee box and what do you find? You'll find a little plastic cup, yeah, a little cup. You'll find dice. What is it, like six dice? Is it six, five, six, ten, five, whatever. Go look it up, folks. I don't remember. It's been a long time since I played Yahtzee. You open the Yahtzee box, there's a cup. There's a number of dice. And then in our Yahtzee box, there are score sheets, now, for some reason, when the Harrises play Yahtzee, when we're done, we're apparently so exhausted, we just don't throw the score sheets away. We just pile them in the box. So if you open up a Yahtzee box at our house, you will see a treasure trove of score sheets. I'm talking score sheets from the 70s. Score sheets from uncles I haven't seen in years and years. Score sheets with people's names. I don't even remember the people. We keep all the score sheets forever at the Harris house when it comes to Yahtzee. Anybody got a box full of Yahtzee score sheets? I guess we're thinking we'll use them again, but we really never do. We just keep them forever. Now, I say that because a lot of people, some of you, your brains are like that. You keep score sheets on everybody. You keep score in every relationship. But unlike the Yahtzee box where we just keep the score sheets but we never go back to them, you're still keeping score. You keep a running score in relationships of who is winning and who is losing. You keep this running long tab of every single instance when somebody wrongs you. You keep score. You keep records. You keep books on people in your mind. You have a private file in your head of everything everybody's ever done to you. And this is what scripture says here. Love doesn't do that. Love does not do that. 
This is a habit of perhaps yours, a habit of a lot of us. Honestly, it's a habit to hate people. It's a habit to hold a grudge. It's a habit to remember those things. And some of you have learned, and God bless you, I understand the pain that has taught you to live this way. But love would have you live differently. Do you understand? This habit that you have of keeping score, this habit that you have of getting mad and staying mad, this habit that you have of living in broken relationships, you understand you've got to stop that. It has to stop. Love doesn't live like that. You can't live like that. It's got to stop. How? How do you not do that? Where does forgiveness start? When Jesus taught us to pray, he said to say these words. Say it with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, our trespasses, as we forgive our debtors, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Did you get that? When Jesus was teaching us to pray, he gave us that line, that phrase, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, forgive us our trespasses, even as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's an amazing way to pray. It's actually not just a way to pray, it's a way to live. This is what Jesus is teaching, that the way we live, the way of love, the way that a Christian lives is in such a way where, where we're constantly aware that we need God to keep forgiving us. F- forgive us. Forgive me my debts. I need constant forgiveness from God. Am I the only one? I need constant every day, sometimes every minute of every day, I need a lot of forgiveness from God. That is a way of life for me because I sin. I still sin. Yes, I'm a pastor. Yes, I'm a faithful man in my marriage. Yes, I I love my family. I'm all of those things, but I'm still a sinner and I still sin and I need forgiveness. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray, forgive me, forgive us, forgive me my trespasses. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus said, when you pray, you say, forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, even as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive me my debts, even as I forgive those who owe debts to me. So understand, forgiveness is is a kind of cycle. It's a circuit. And it doesn't exactly work the way you wish it worked. Because what you wish is that forgiveness just always flowed into your life. Because we all understand the horrible, horrible feeling of guilt when we've sinned. We all understand that horrible burden of having done something, said something, somehow been in the wrong. And we know how much we need forgiveness. And we all live and appreciate when forgiveness is flowing to us. And that's what we wish. That's all that we wish. That Jesus had just said, when you pray, just say, forgive me of my sins. But Jesus said, whenever you're praying about forgiveness, it's not just to you, it's also through you. So Jesus said, when you pray, you say, forgive me my debts, forgive me my sins, my trespasses, even as I forgive those who trespass against me. All through Scripture, 
when Scripture talks about forgiveness, there's always that double side of it. There's always that sense that forgiveness is a kind of circuit that has to be completed. It can't just flow to you and stop. It can't just be where you soak up all the forgiveness, but you don't offer it to anybody else. It never works that way. As a matter of fact, Scripture says it can't work that way. Jesus himself said, if you don't forgive others, you can't be forgiven. In the same way that you forgive others, that's the way forgiveness will work in your life. If you don't forgive, you can't be forgiven. If forgiveness isn't flowing through you, then it stops working for you. Do you understand? It's a circuit. It's a cycle. It comes from God. It begins with God. It flows into your life, but then it's got to flow out of your life. If that flow is interrupted with you, then understand forgiveness stops for you. You can't receive forgiveness from God if you won't also extend it. That's hard. That's a hard word from Scripture. But there's no other way to read it. No other way to preach it. No other way to live. Forgiveness is a cycle. It's a river that flows into your life but then out of your life and toward everybody else. And all of those people who wrong you, do you understand? Forgiveness... It's got to flow through you. A man had a dream. It was one of those dreams where at first he could see a man walking up this hill. And then he realized that the man was, was he himself. He was that man. And he was walking up that hill, that steep hill in his dream. And then he heard something. He heard a struggle behind him. We turned around. He saw Jesus, and he looked back up the hill, and he realized that this was Calvary. There were two crosses at the top of the hill, and behind him was Jesus carrying his cross. And in his dream, he, he looked at, at Jesus, and, and Jesus was, was struggling under the weight of the cross. Jesus himself was falling and dragging himself and crawling up that hill under the weight of sin. And the man said in his dream, he he himself cried and his heart was broken for Jesus. And and he turned to help Jesus and he said, Jesus, are you carrying the sins of the whole world? And in his dream, the man said that Jesus said, no, just yours. Are you carrying the sins of the whole world, Jesus? No, just yours. Do do you understand that forgiveness begins with Jesus, with what he's done on the cross? He's forgiven you. He's forgiven you of all of it. All the things that you have said that you wish you'd never said and you can now never take back. All of the things that you have done and that you can never undo now. All of the things that you failed to do and you can't go back and do now. Do you understand? You're forgiven. Fully forgiven. He forgives all of that. He forgives all of that to you. That's the beauty and wonder of forgiveness as it flows into your life. But do you understand that same forgiveness that Jesus offers you? Now you have to turn around and you have to offer it to other people. It will not work for you unless it works through you. Forgiveness. 
the verse literally says that love keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't think. It doesn't dwell when it's been wrong. When someone crosses love, when, when someone offends love, love has this habit of just not bringing that back up, not dwelling on that, not, not writing that down in some sort of private mental file and then keeping it alive forever. Love doesn't do that, but let's be honest, we do. Many of us do. We have this habit of somehow when, when someone offends us, some of us for even small things, some of us are in a habit of holding a grudge. We can get mad and stay mad for the smallest, honestly, the silliest of things. But then sometimes the, the hurt is much deeper, much more painful. Sometimes we are hurt and offended in unthinkable and indescribable ways. But I'm telling you, whether it's a small hurt or whether it is a gigantic, evil hurt against you, you've got to understand, it's the same process. And honestly, this is very, very important for you to understand. You have no other options. You can either live with it, you can carry that burden of anger and resentment and hatred, and you understand, when you do that, love is no longer operating in you. It becomes poison in you. It is your option to live like that, but understand, the only other option is to love and forgive. You have to love and you have to forgive. You do not have the option as a Christian of swelling up and staying mad for your whole life. You can't do that. Love doesn't do that. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It just doesn't do that. You can't do that either. You just can't. You can't. So, so, so understand, forgiveness begins to become important at the moment when you've been hurt. I know that sounds simple. That sounds like the dumbest thing that the preacher could ever say. But honestly, most of us believe in forgiveness until it's time for us to have to practice it. We believe in it. We're all for it. Those of you in this house today who have a, a clean conscience and a clear heart with everybody else, you're absolutely in favor of this sermon. Preach on, brother. Preach on. You love to hear about forgiveness because honestly, it's not the word for you right now. But when it's time for you to forgive, all of the sudden, something in you raises up. All of the sudden, the, the complete unfairness of just letting that person off the hook, the, the, the complete impossibility of, of somehow being hurt and not carrying that with you, all of the sudden, forgiveness sounds absolutely preposterous. When it's time for you to forgive, all of a sudden, you're not sure you believe in it anymore. You're convinced that you must be the exception. Your pain, this offense, it's got to somehow be the exception. Surely you don't have to forgive. Yeah, you do. Forgiveness begins when you get hurt. And you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. I think one of the ways many of us avoid forgiveness is just by sort of never getting hurt. Now, I'm not saying that we never actually get hurt. We just sort of always deny that we're hurt. We just deny that. Part of that is pride. And I'm like that. I'll say that in relationships, lots of times I look like I'm just a very forgiving person. But honestly, I'm a very proud person. And I just don't want people to know that I've been hurt. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? I don't want people to know that I've been hurt, and I don't want to be a weak person who gets hurt. So a lot of the time, I just try to act like I'm not hurt. That doesn't make me a good Christian. It just makes me crazy. Do you understand? 
That, that's pride. It's another kind of sin altogether. It, it is not any kind of virtue to go on and act like you haven't been hurt. When you're hurt, you need to stop and acknowledge that you're hurt. That's how forgiveness begins. Because see, my thing, and if you're like me, when I act like I'm not hurt, then actually I'm angry, but I also don't admit that I'm angry. And that starts to bleed out in my life. And since I'm really not angry or not admitting that I'm angry at the person I'm angry at, I tend to give that anger to other people who don't deserve it. You understand? This is how it poisons your life. Forgiveness is the only way to deal with hurts. It's the only way. And you have to practice forgiveness. It's got to be a habit. You have to first be hurt and acknowledge that that's your hurt. Now, some of us, when we're hurt, it's not so much pride. It's just that sense of, I'm not going to give that person the satisfaction of knowing that they get to me. It's not so much pride. It's just that unwillingness to give that person the satisfaction to know that they hurt you. And that's how a lot of us live. You've hurt me, but I will not give you the satisfaction of knowing you have that kind of power in my life. And so therefore, I will never acknowledge the pain. Never acknowledge that you've hurt me. And therefore, I can never get on with the business of forgiving you. Honestly, it begins when you're hurt. And when you will stop and acknowledge the pain. And stop denying it. And stop avoiding it. You just got to stop and deal with it. Do you understand? Forgiveness is not making excuses for the other person. It's not denying the pain. It's not acting like nothing really happened. Forgiveness is honestly the only way to take the offense absolutely seriously. Forgiveness takes it seriously. It takes into full account the pain. It takes into full account the weight of what has been done. Forgiveness is not an easy way out. It is not the weak woman's way out. You understand? Forgiveness is the way of miracle. It is the way of strength and power. It's not in you to do this. The power comes from God. Did you understand? This isn't easier. Everybody would be doing it. It begins when you've been hurt. And then it does an amazing thing. Love does an amazing thing. When it's hurt, it doesn't dwell on that. It doesn't keep a record of it. It just forgives it. Love forgives. But understand, most of us don't forgive that easily. We just don't do that very well. Instead, we do keep a record of it. We keep a running score sheet in our heads. We keep files on people. We keep permanent records. Why do we do that? Because honestly, if you've hurt me, and and I keep a record of that in my mind, I keep a score sheet of that in my mind, all I'm doing is locking that up in my mind. All I'm doing is locking it up and then keeping it alive. And then what I'm doing, I'm choosing to remember that. Maybe for days, maybe for weeks, maybe for years and years and years, I'm continuing to make a choice to relive that pain. Now, why would I do that? Why would you do that? Why would any of us choose not to forgive when, honestly, all that guarantees is that we're going to feel that pain for a long, long time, over and over and over again. When you hold a grudge, when you carry resentment, all you're doing is continuing to keep the scab off that wound so that it never, ever heals. All you're doing is continuing to finger that wound so that you can continue to relive the pain Why would we do that? Why would anybody want to continue reliving it? Why does anybody choose to remember it over and over and over again? Why? 
Honestly, that's been my question coming into this sermon, coming into this message. And very prayerfully, I've been asking God, why? Why do I do that? Why do any of us do that? And I think the answers are actually simple and in some ways very strange. I think the first reason that we do it, the first reason that we choose not to forgive, the first reason that we honestly choose to dwell on it and keep it in our minds is that it lets us feel superior to the person that hurt us. It it, it lets us feel superior. And all of us love to feel superior. It's just part of our human nature. It's just a part of me. I I like to feel better than other people. I, I love to elevate myself. And when I've been hurt by you, then I have this ability to walk away and say, I wouldn't treat anybody that way. I wouldn't do a dog the way she treated me. Have you ever said anything like that? That superiority is delicious in your mouth, isn't it? That ability to say, I wouldn't do that. I would not do her that way. I wouldn't talk about him that way. I would not steal from him the way he stole from me. I would never do my kid the way my daddy did me. Do you understand that feeling of superiority? And to forgive, we have to give that up. You have to give that up. You have to let go of that fascinating and wonderful feeling that you're better than the person who hurt you. That's hard to give up. But you carry that resentment and it'll be poison in your soul. That feeling of superiority is, is probably one of the reasons many of us don't forgive. We love that feeling. I think the second thing is when I'm hurt, I have an excuse. I have an excuse. Then you're thinking, an excuse for what? See, that's the beauty of it. When you've hurt me, if you've hurt me pretty bad, I've got an excuse for everything. I'm telling you, to have an excuse for everything, that's an amazing thing. If you've hurt me, and you've hurt me really, really bad, if my daddy hurt me years and years ago, and he really, really hurt me, that gives me an amazing excuse to be a jerk to everybody. You understand? I've got an excuse. You want to know why I'm the way I am? Because it's what my mama did to me. It's what my cousins did to me. It's what my sister has done. It's what my brother has done. It's what the church people have done for me. Do you understand what it is to have an excuse for nearly anything? But when you don't forgive, that's what you've got, this excuse. You've got an excuse. If the church people hurt you, guess what? You can drop out of church. You don't ever have to go back to church again. Why? Because if that's how church people act, do you understand? The beauty of an excuse You have an excuse to be a victim the rest of your life. You have an excuse for all of your failure. You have an excuse for being an absolute, horrible, miserable person. You have an excuse. And when you forgive, you've got to give that up. You no longer have an excuse for being anything other than a person becoming more like Christ every day. And honestly, that's a heavy burden to bear. In some ways, it's just easier to stay mad. When you forgive, you lose your excuse. Here's the last one. This one's difficult, but, but, but think with me. It, it comes from something Rick Ripke has taught me. Uh, Rick Ripke says that anger is intimate. Anger is intimate. 
See, in a really, really strange way, that, that person that you're angry at, that person that you've been angry at for years and years and years, that anger is a really strong attachment to that person. And we all like to be attached to people. We like those strong attachments. But the thing is, that anger attaches you in a way that that is soul-killing for both of you. You see, it's not love. We're supposed to be connected to people and attached to people, but, but not by anger, but by love. But for some of us, our primary attachment to people is through anger. Some of you do anger a lot better than you do love, let's be honest. And that is your primary way of being attached to people. You attach them with anger because anger is intimate. It's very, very intimate. And so for some of us, to forgive that person that we're so angry with, to to finally let that anger go... We lose that person for good then. Some of you are really, really angry at at your parents, your parents and the way they treated you or mistreated you. And honestly, the only attachment you have with that father is now anger because he's dead and gone. And and there's never going to be anything else but the anger. And when you let that anger go, you've lost him forever. Your your ex-wife, your your ex-husband, you are so angry at him, at her, at what she's done to you. But honestly, when you let that anger go... There's nothing left. There's no relationship left. And so some of us will hang on to the anger because it's, it's the only attachment we have. Love doesn't do that. It simply doesn't do that. Love keeps no record of wrongs. If you hurt me, I may remember it. I may write it down in my mind, but, but I want to write it in disappearing ink. You understand? I don't want to remember that forever. I don't want that to become the defining thing in our relationship. Love has this tremendous ability to sort of let the past go. It lets the past go. Brother Tim, you don't understand what she's done to me, and and I will forgive as soon as she says she's sorry. Do you understand the Bible doesn't say a word about her saying she's sorry to you? The Bible doesn't say a single word about the fact that you don't have to forgive until he crawls back and tells you what a bad person he's been. Do you understand? The forgiveness is not contingent upon what they do. It's not about them at this point. This is about you and your heart and love's going to work operating inside of you to make you more like Christ. Do you understand you don't have to wait for an apology? And if you think you're waiting for that, you're not acting in love. You're not acting like Christ. Jesus hung on the cross and said what? Father, forgive them as soon as they say they're sorry. Is that what Jesus said? You don't wait for an apology. Brother Tim, you don't understand. I don't ever see him in my life again. I don't ever really see. Do you understand? Forgiveness is not reconciliation. We're not talking about coming back like friends. I don't really know what's on the other side of forgiveness. Honestly, I don't. In many, many instances, reconciliation is not going to happen. In in a lot of instances, you're never going to be fully reconciled. You may never have a full-blown friendship again with this person. I get that. I understand that. But that's something else. That's on the other side of it. Forgiveness is something completely within your grasp as a Christian. It is completely within the bounds of what you yourself can do inside your heart with the Holy Spirit. Do you understand? Forgiveness is possible for you. It's absolutely possible, but only by the power of God. 
Only by God's power, only by the power of his love, which moves us in everyday relationships to give. Even if what we must give is forgiveness, you understand? Even if what we must show is mercy and and grace, it moves us to give without expecting anything back. You may never come back and be my friend again. You may never ever speak to me again, but I can still forgive you. I can put that away in my mind. I can confess my part of the sin. I can lay it down. I don't have to keep score. I do not have to continue to bring it up. You don't understand, Brother Tim. I can't forgive and forget. I can't forget. You don't understand what I'm saying. I can't forget either. There are absolutely things I can never forget. There are things done to me, things done to my family that honestly, I could stand right here and remember. I can remember to the point where it makes my stomach sick. I can remember too. That's what we're talking about. What do you do about those things that you can never forget? What do you do with those things? If I could forget them, forgiveness would be unnecessary. Forgiveness is the only way to deal with all of those things, all of those hurts, the agony, the pain that you can never forget. Forgiveness is the only option you have if you want to put the pain away. But it's the hardest thing you'll ever be asked to do. This is the hardest thing you will ever be asked to do. Because we're talking about putting the past away. And you have to put it away sometimes and it stays messy. You won't get this tidied up in the process of forgiveness. As a matter of fact, that's part of the wonder of forgiveness. It doesn't have to necessarily straighten everything out. You'll probably never ever settle... Who said what first? You'll probably never ever settle who hurt who first. You'll never ever really settle all of that. And that's what forgiveness does. You understand? That's what forgiveness requires of you. It's just that ability to stand here where you are and close the door on the past. You'll never unscramble the eggs. Forgiveness doesn't require you to do that. Do you understand that what forgiveness does is that it allows you to start where you are, the person that you are, with everything that's been said and everything that's been done and all the things you can never forget. Do you understand? Forgiveness requires you to start over. It's a new beginning. You just start over. I'll never forget, but as long as we're alive, I'm not going to bring it up again. That's forgiveness. It hurts. What you've done hurts me. What you've said hurts me. But I'm going to start right there at the place of that pain. And I'm going to experience healing. It's the hardest thing you'll ever be asked to do, to uh, close the door on the past and right where you are, make a new beginning. It's the hardest thing you'll ever be asked to do, but love is the power to do that.
love is the power to do that. You know how God heals the past? A new beginning. Thank God for new beginnings. Pray with me. Lord, I pray that as this service draws to a close, we will hear the sound of doors slamming shut. Doors on the past. Lord, I pray that we would hear the sound of score sheets being torn up in the minds of men and women who've been carrying grudges for years, for months, for weeks, for days. Lord, being hurt is a part of loving. It is a part of relationships, Lord, but so is forgiveness. It is an everyday part of relationships, Lord. So give us the strength, the, the power, the desire, Lord, to experience the miracle of forgiveness in our lives. We We thank you for the way your forgiveness flows into us, Lord, covering over the multitude of our own sins, Lord. Let us never forget the grace by which we all live. Lord, I thank you for the way you forgive me. I thank you for the way the people around me forgive me, Lord, the way they overlook so many of my offenses, Lord. Thank you for the grace of those around me. Lord, help me, help all of us, Lord, to be people of such grace, people of such forgiveness, Lord. We're going to be hurt but it doesn't mean we have to let the hurt harden into hate. Lord, I pray that you would crack hardened, hate-filled hearts this morning and teach us one more time how to love. Lord, I pray that people, that marriages, Lord, that relationships broken in this house, close the door on the past today, make a brand new start with forgiveness. Pray these things in the gracious and forgiving name of Jesus. Amen.